Today we continue our series on the Sermon on the Mount. We've been working our way through the Lord's Prayer for the past two weeks, wrestling with what it means to relate to God as our Father and how to understand the kingdom. And starting in Matthew 6, verse 9, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And there's a pivot between verses 10 and 11, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, where the, where the focus shifts from heaven to earth. And last week, we ended the sermon with a list of ways that the, uh, to live like the kingdom has come, ending with a statement about exercising authority that's been delegated to us. And I noted that Jesus delegates authority to us to make the kingdom present on earth. And I'd like to unpack that a bit more this week because our struggle over authority permeates every area of our lives. And, and in order to talk about authority in, in more detail, uh, we need to agree on a definition of authority. And in the, the simplest terms possible, authority is the ability to make a decision without it being overruled. And, and it's different than power, where power is the ability to force someone to do something against their will. And that means that you know, authority typically has some level of legitimacy associated with it. That is, people under authority accept the, the, the fact that people in authority are making decisions for them. And, you know, we wrestle with this authority everywhere in our lives. You know, we have the authorities of the various levels of government. And, um, you know, even recently in this area, you know, there was a debate about do we need another level of government, right? So there was a recently a city motion to, to create a city of East Cobb that would add yet another level of government within, you know, certain portions of Cobb County. We have st state government. We have federal government. We have... Um, you know, multi-government agencies like the UN that try to exercise authority. Then we have authority that we have to deal with in the workplace. You know, if you, you know, if you own a company, you're the authority. If you don't own the company, there are other people in authority. And, and each situation has its own challenges with authority. And then we have to deal with authority in the home. And whether, you know, if we're the parent, we're, you know, have more of the authority, although as our children age, our ability to exercise authority changes. And, and our children become, as they develop a sense of independence, they want to exercise authority. And that transition is challenging. And, uh, and similarly, you know, if we're married, there's, 
you know, challenges about who gets to make what decisions you know, in the relationship. And that authority has existed since the beginning. Uh, and, and, you know, our position relative to God's authority is clearly stated in Genesis chapter 2. Uh, starting in verse 15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You sh may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for on that day you eat it, you shall surely die. So we, you know, we've had to deal, as human beings, deal with authority since, uh, since we were created. And our response has largely been rebellion. And that rebellion takes two different forms. The first form is some of us try to struggle to make decisions that belong to other people. But the flip side is also rebellion against authority, which is avoiding decisions that are ours to make. And, um, you know, as, as often happens when you know, one is preparing to teach, uh, you know, preparing a sermon. You know, God puts circumstances in our lives to make us wrestle with, you know, whatever it is that we're preparing to teach. And I happen to be in a period of life, in my work life, where the authority of who gets to make decisions and what kinds of decisions and uh, is a big challenge in my workplace. And, and I am having to navigate, you know, where, you know, where is it appropriately for me to make decisions? Where do I have to defer to someone else? How do I help leaders that are not making decisions that they need to make, accept responsibility to make decisions and to make them in a timely manner? And, and so this topic, you know, for, for me of authority has actually been something that I've wrestled with for decades. And, um, and, you know, and as we think about the Lord's Prayer, you know, that understanding where authority fits in is a really critical part of the prayer. And, and as we think about this rebellion, you know, on, on the side of making others' decisions for them, you know, we have many examples, you know, in, in history where there's, that's been a problem. And, um, you know, m many of you are, you know, in the room are too young to remember this, but in, in March of 1981, President Ronald Reagan was shot uh, by, you know, by an, in an attempted assassination. And there was a lot of chaos in the White House in the hours, you know, or, uh, at, shortly after uh, President Reagan was shot and he was put in the hospital and, and, and taken through pretty serious surgery. And as there were the leaders in the White House in the administration were trying to figure out what to do, the Secretary of State, Alexander Haig, uh, you know, wanted to calm people, so he initiated a press conference, brought the press people into the, into the 
the, the press briefing room and basically made an announcement saying, I'm in, char- I'm in charge here, Don't, you know, no need to worry. Well, his attempt at um, calming people down actually freaked everybody out because it showed that you know, Secretary Haig hadn't really read his constitution recently because the Secretary of State is not you know, immediately in line, in the line of succession you know, in, in the event that the president is incapacitated. You know, there's vice president, then, then there's the Speaker of the House of Representatives, and then it's the Secretary of State. So, so for decades after that, you know, Alexander Haig has become an example of someone who is trying to control something that wasn't his to control. Now, on the other side, we have of you know avoiding our decisions. You know, when we we rebel by not making decisions that that belong to us, um, you know, often that is because we're afraid of accountability. And, and, you know, and an example of that is back in the Civil War, the American Civil War, um, the Union Army was led by uh, General George McClellan. And General McClellan was well known as an excellent tactician. He was very good with military logistics and he was incredibly careful. And, and so he, his soldiers thought he, you know, were, thought he was great, um, but he was notorious for his caution. And in the fall of 1861, President Abraham Lincoln was so frustrated by McClellan's lack of decision-making and lack of action that he said, if General McClellan isn't going to use his army, I'd like to borrow it for a time. And, and, and so, you know, both of these acts, either trying to make other people's decisions for them or not making the decisions that are ours to make, are rebellious because they cause damage. And, you know, we live that today. We're, you know, in, we live in a time where, um, you know, our lawmakers, the, the people who are supposed to make laws and make these decisions, fail to make them because wow, it's really hard work to get bipartisan legislation through just about any level of government. And then when that happens, there's pressure for the executives in the executive branch to exercise authority to just make decisions because the legislators don't make decisions. And then then these decisions wind up in the courts. And the judicial branch isn't supposed to be making legislative decisions either. And so then you wind up with lengthy court battles. And so, you know, and that leads to people then deciding that the laws are optional. And, and then, you know, society becomes more chaotic. And we have these same kind of challenges at home, in the workplace, and in the, unfortunately, in the church, because, you know, we, we are all sinners in need of a savior, including church leaders. And, and so we all fall prey to these challenges of either trying to make decisions that are not, that are not ours or avoiding decisions that are ours. And, um, 
<clears throat> and so, as we think about this context, concept of authority, authority has a very specific first century context that we need to understand in order to make sense of the Lord's Prayer. And, uh, and, and, it's, and it starts with a Hebrew word, shmicha, which is uh, in the Hebrew word for authority. And in Greek, it's translated as exousia, the power to act. And shmicha is a key part of the rabbinic tradition. Uh, and, and that it's important to understand because shmicha in, in the rabbinic tradition is the ability or the authority to teach one's own interpretation of the scriptures. And not every rabbi had shmicha. Now, at that time when the, 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 the Jewish faith was transmitted from generation to generation, you know, it was translated, transmitted by you know, young, uh, young people learning, learning the Torah, memorizing the Torah, and then they memorized the, 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 the prophets and the writings. And you know, by the time they were in mid-teens, they had you know, largely memorized the entire Hebrew scripture and the, 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 the students who were best at it got the opportunity to become disciples of a rabbi. Now, each rabbi had a specific, you know, had a specific set of teaching that the rabbi called his yoke. And, um, and, that, and that word... Um, you know, yoke is an important word, and, and there are references to the use of the word yoke to refer to someone's teaching or wisdom in general, going back to as far as 180 BC, and, uh, and a Jewish apocryphal work called The Wisdom of Ben Sira uh, talks about the in, uh, uses the word yoke to refer to teaching, and rabbis that did not who did not have their own authority to teach their own interpretation of scripture would usually teach the yoke of some other rabbi, and they would say that they teach the yoke of Rabbi so and so. Now, for for people who are becoming disciples of a rabbi, it was a great honor to be the, the disciple of a rabbi who had shmicha. And, and for example, the apostle Paul studied under the, the, the rabbi Gamaliel, who, you know, and, and he was very proud of that. In fact, in Acts 22, um, you know, he, he, he said, I am a Jew born in Tarsus of Sicilia, brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner and law of our fathers. And, um, and some background on Gamaliel was that um, uh, he was a, a, a first century Pharisee. He was either the son or the grandson of a famous rabbi named Hillel. And 
he, Gamaliel, was so highly esteemed that the, the Jewish Mishnah says of him, since Rabban Gamaliel the elder died, there has been no more reference, reverence for the law and purity and abstinence died out at the same time. And in Acts chapter 5, he's portrayed at taking charge of the council at a certain point in time, gaining the acquiescence of everyone else. And it wasn't through any specific positional authority he had, but through personal forcefulness and respect for what he represented. And, and Paul was you know, proud to be you know, a disciple of the, you know, previously trained by, by this Rabbi Gamaliel. And, um, and, and this concept of authority, uh, it was typically conferred by at least two other rabbis who had shmicha laying on hands to convert, confer their authority on a rabbi who was being deemed to have shmicha. And typically, one would have to be a rabbi for many years in order to receive that. And that act of laying on hands to transmit authority continues in the church to this day. So, for example, you know, last week when we sent the Gilberts you know, off to their new ministry in North Carolina, um, you know, Emery and I as elders laid hands on, on Al to commission him and send him in, you know, off into his ministry. And that act of laying hands is a symbol of conveying the authority of the church for ministry. And so, um, now this brings up questions about Jesus and, and his authority, right? So Jesus received Shmiha at the start of his ministry. You know, in Matthew chapter 3, in, starting in verse 16, um, uh, it says, When Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and the heavens opened him, and he saw the Spirit of God descend like a dove and coming to rest on him, and behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And so you have the Holy Spirit descending on him like a dove in source of authority number one and the voice from heaven saying, you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased, uh, uh, source of authority number two. And so in Jesus then as he begins his ministry, teaches with authority. And, and so we see that throughout the scriptures, where the, the gospels, where Jesus taught his own interpretation of the Hebrew scriptures in a distinctly first century rabbinic way. And a typical rabbinic formulation for someone teaching under their own interpretation of scriptures would be phrases like, you have heard it said, but I say. Or you, you have been taught, but. And, and those formulations occur frequently in Matthew chapter 5 in the Sermon on the Mount. And you know, we've been studying part of the Sermon on the Mount going back to February. 
And, you know, if you go back and listen to some of the sermons and, 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 and reread Matthew chapter 5, you will see that style of teaching frequently. It's in verse 21, verse 27, uh, and, and so on. And, and Jesus also specifically referred to his source of authority and his own yoke in Matthew 11. And where, where it, Jesus said, all things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy, and my burden is light. And so, in understanding that word yoke as someone's teaching, you know, provides a lot of flavor for the, the passage in, in Matthew 11, that you know, Jesus is saying there that his teaching you know, is, is not burdensome in contrast to the yoke of the rabbis of the party of the Pharisees who were constantly adding burdens to the people. Now, we also know from, from the Gospels that the authority of Jesus was challenged. And if we look at Matthew 21, you know, we see a passage starting in 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 verse 23, where Jesus is in the temple, and you know, and at this point in time, he's near, you know, nearing the, he's on his way to the cross, and you know, he's 32 or 33 years old, and like I said earlier, you know, rabbis who received shmicha usually didn't receive it until later in life, and and so he gets challenged. Um, uh, uh, about his his thinking or his teaching, and 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 I'd like to read a passage here um, in in Matthew twenty one from the complete Jewish Bible, which provides a specific flavor of how um, you know uh, because it focuses on this word shmicha. Uh, he went up into the temple area, and as he was teaching, uh, the head Kohanim, chief priest, and the elders of the people approached him and demanded, what shmicha do you have that authorizes you to do these things? And who gave you this shmicha? Yeshua answered, I too will ask you a question. If you answer it, then I will tell you by what shmicha I do these things. And and so this, you know, here's Jesus as a relatively young rabbi being challenged in the temple about his source of authority. And, um, and, and yet, um, because, you know, they really weren't paying attention to him, uh, you know, what he had been openly teaching. So, uh, you know, as, as we consider all of this, you know, Jesus' authority 
is central to the Lord's prayer. And, and because Jesus' authority over the kingdom is what makes it worth asking for help. Um, you know, it's the context for the request that we make about the Lord's prayer. And, um, and, and by following Jesus, we become members of the kingdom. And by being members of the kingdom, we receive the privilege to make requests. And in our day and age, it is, you know, it's very uncomfortable to be under authority, particularly in the West and in America in, in particular, because we've been rebelling since 1776. And, and we pride ourselves on rebellion. And, um, and so uh, there is a value in being under authority that no one talks about. And, and that as, as we work our way through the Lord's Prayer, in, an important part of developing that relationship of, of interacting with God relationally, you know, as opposed to conceptually or through rules, is we can understand that value of being under authority because, you know, we don't have to solve every problem to, and we don't have to solve every problem today. And that by letting go of things that we don't control and, and having faith that, you know, that God can control them life is easier to live um, and and the you know and that change to beginning to v- verse 11 in the lord's prayer is a way to do that you know it, it you know it is the you know verse 11 give us this day our daily bread is essentially the most basic kind of request that we can make um, you know, it starts out with the word give and, and give, you know, when we say give us this day, we are making a rec- we're making an admission of need. We are recognizing our own need, uh, own need from God. And for someone who has been independent and wow it's really hard to admit need um you know i mean i i mean i grew up in an environment where uh that authority was very harsh and and so i was very strongly motivated to be independent and 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 so you know it was hard for me to accept Christ and it took me until I was almost 30 years old because, you know, I thought I was doing everything pretty well by myself. And, and God had to put me in circumstances, painful circumstances, for me to accept that I had a need for a Savior. And, 
And, and once I accepted Christ, wow, my life got a lot easier. And, uh, you know, that admission of need is a really important part of the prayer. And, uh, you know, because we're admitting that we're unable to manage our lives independently from God. And now this, this admission of need is not like a complete abdication of responsibility, um, you know, such as, for example, our responsibility to work. Um, and, and as, you know, I wrestled with this, you know, as a younger man, what became clear to me is, um, is recognizing that my time, my talents, the, the things that I cared about were all gifts from God that they were not things that I had done on my own. And, and that, you know, that as God made that clear to me over time, you know, that was part of the way that he changed my life from being, I earned this, I did that, I achieved this, to being grateful and, and, and being willing to submit to his authority and admit I had a need. Um, the, so as we then you know, recognize our need, then the, the next part of that, that sentence is this day. We are to focus on today where our need is most urgent. And um, it's easy, um, you know, it, it's, it's easy to focus on tomorrow, next week, next month, next year, my retirement, um, because, you know, we listen to a lot of media, we, um, you know, consume a lot of media, and there's anxiety all around us. There are plenty of things to worry about. And, and you know, should we choose to indulge in them? And the, you know, this urgent focus on today recognizes that many of the people who directly heard Jesus' message, they lived hand to mouth. And, you know, it's possible that some of you at some point in your life may have lived hand to mouth. Now for me, the, this prayer brings back memories of a fast food joint on the west side of Chicago called the Patio. And it's at 1503 West Taylor in Little Italy. And when I was a sophomore undergraduate at the University of Illinois, um, I lived in a roach-infested apartment at 1458 West Taylor, and I could see the patio right outside my window. Now, I could also turn in another window and see the Rosebud, which was this high-end Italian restaurant that I had, couldn't dream of being able to afford. But the patio um, uh, was, you know, they, they sold a... Um, a, a hot dog and french fries for 90 cents. And as a starving undergraduate, um, like I had weeks where I would survive on one or two patio hot dogs a day. And, and, 
And so this idea of urgently like providing for today really resonates in, with me. And, and uh, you know, as God has blessed me in my life um, and, and with, with work and, uh, you know, family and, and other resources, I've always had this appreciation for people who work in, in low-wage, hard-work jobs because, you know, I know what it's like to make a dollar an hour when minimum wage is two thirty-five, and um, and and that you know this prayer, it, you know, really challenges us to think like someone who has urgent needs day to day, as if we are living hand to mouth from God's provision. Um, you know, n- next. It's daily. Give us this day our daily bread. And, 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 and we are to ask for what's required today. And, and that means not asking, you know, not having to ask for what's tomorrow because in a relational way, we are developing day by day confidence that God's going to provide tomorrow so we don't need to ask about it today. And you know and as I think about this passage um it in the, the, this part it it reminds me of a passage in in Proverbs chapter 30. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. And, you know, as we think about this, can you think of a time when you've had too much? And what it's done, you know, what that does with your relationship with God? Now, Earlier in my career, uh, I, you know, I had a, 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 a job in Illinois where I worked for a large company. And, and there was a period in my time when I was doing business development. So I was you know, working with uh, senior executives at, at potential customers to, you know, to, uh, to, to work with us. And, and there was a... Um, you know, one of the, the officers in the company was leading this business development effort and because it was in the area of e-commerce where I had expertise, I, was part, I wound up being part of the sales team. And so I got my first introduction to private jet travel. And now, you know, you've, you know if you've been on an airplane and you've gone through TSA, and you know that you've got to get there, you know, two or three hours ahead of your air flight in order to deal with all the security and things like that. First time I showed up at the corporate jet port, it was like swipe my work badge because it was keyed like just another location at work. You know, parked right by the, you know, within 30 feet of the front door. Walk into the building. There's a, you know, very pleasant reception area. The pilot came out to take my bag. And you just sit down, and, you know, and it's like, well, wheels up in ten minutes. I mean, 
you know, that, um, and, and so you sit down for, you know, five minutes before you, before you actually go out to the airplane. And, you know, you're sitting in this really nice lounge area with well-appointed seats, copies of Elite Traveler magazine on the, uh, on the table. And, and then you walk out to the airplane, you know, no security checks, no nothing. You just walk out to the plane, get on the airplane, and fly to your destination. And, and then, of course, the airplane's got a lot more room than a commercial jet. And as I you know, began to, you know, to fly regularly, I could see that among, you know, the people that were doing this frequently, that there was this growing sense of entitlement. And once I had actually had a situation where there were a bunch of us going to a meeting, too many to fit on the corporate jet. And so some of us had to fly commercial. And one of my colleagues, I I volunteered to fly commercial. One of my, one of the officers got booted because there were too many technology executives on the flight and if the airplane went down, they didn't want to like wipe out all their sea level IT people. And and this gentleman was very upset about not being on the corporate jet. And and there's this sense of entitlement that when we have too much that we, you know, but we believe that we got it on our own, that we believe that we deserve it, and we lose touch with the God who gives us the things that we need. And, uh, and so that, you know, when we pray this prayer daily, give us this day our daily bread, and we understand what daily means is, is that, you know, is really focusing on, um, you know, what we need for today and putting us in the right place where we're, re, re, you know, receiving blessings from God as opposed to doing this all on our own. And, uh, and then on the other side of, you know, of being too poor and stealing and, um, you know, and dishonoring God is, is that, um, you know, that being able to see God providing us, you know, essentially gives us the ability to live righteously and uh, you know, and uh, and 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 that's very important for not having too much and not having too little. And then finally, uh, you know, our daily bread. You know, we're asking for bread. We're asking for our most basic needs. And you know, and and as we look at relationally, you know, when. When we have a relationship with God, no request is too small, you know, and and that if we're not relating to God regularly, it's like, oh, you know, do I really want to ask him about this? Oh, I should be able to handle this on my own. Oh, you know, the, God's too busy, you know, um, and and we, you know, and and so we kind of deceive ourselves into thinking that God doesn't really want to, you know, that, that God doesn't care about those smaller things in our lives, when the reality is there's enough of God to relate to every one of us on the earth all the same time in an intimate way. And that's really hard, really hard to fathom, but it's true. And, and when we sort of like shield these basic requests from him, you know, we're basically saying there, you know, there's not, you know, 
you can't handle all this, this stuff, which is not true. And, um, and, and so, you know, when we're able to ask for, for small things and we can then be attuned spiritually to when God provides them, we can be grateful. And, and, you know, and that ability to be grateful in whatever our situation is, um, makes whatever challenges that we have easier to bear. And, and so, give us this day our daily bread. Lord, we thank you that you're in authority. We thank you that we can come under your authority and flourish uh, under your provision. We, we thank you that you give us neither too much nor too little. We thank you that you, you know what we need before we ask. Lord, make us humble so we can ask. Lord, give us spiritual vision so that we can see how you fulfill our asks. Lord, empower us to act so that we can be instruments of your provision to other people. Amen.